Well, if you have your Bible, the book of James is where we're going to be today. If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, please make your way there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you don't want to use your phone or some device, there is a Bible in front of you on the pew back. That is our gift to you. Uh, We love the Bible here. We gather around the Bible, and so we believe when the Bible is open, God is talking, and we ought to pay attention. So we make it our practice around here to walk through books of the Bible and allow the Spirit of God to apply it to our believing hearts. And uh, if you are new today, we are starting a great study through the book of James. And this book of James has the nickname titled, The Proverbs of the New Testament. And if you know much about the book of Proverbs, then Proverbs is considered wisdom literature. In other words, if you want to live a wise life, if you want to live a a life that is pleasing to God in the day-to-day grind of life, then read the book of Proverbs. One thing that God's people have done for millennia is they read the book of Proverbs every single month that there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and the day of the month is the day of the proverb that you read. And the Proverbs have served me personally, and many of you as well, as you have sought to walk in wisdom and apply the knowledge of God to the different daily grind of life. And the book of James, you're going to see, is very much in line with practical Christianity and what it means to have a faith that is active. New Testament scholar Earl Palmer describes the book of James this way. He says, this is the book of plain language in the New Testament. And James has written a book that is sure to offend everyone in some way. Um, This book is going to offend you, okay? So I want you to know on the front end, this is going to be a very uncomfortable 15 to 16 weeks. There's going to be Sundays where it's going to get hot around you because the Spirit of God is going to use this book to rebuke you, to call you out, to show you that as a follower of Jesus, you're not walking in this way. But I want to say this as well. It's going to be uncomfortable in the best of ways because it's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt so good. And the reason it's going to hurt so good is because there is no other book outside the book of Proverbs, particularly no other book in the New Testament where there are so many imperatives in a book. Like, we're going to have an imperative as a command. It's going to be a little bit of reading and a command, a little bit of reading and a command. And what you're going to see, friends, is James is calling us, if you're serious as a Christian, show us. He's not going to let us get away with saying, I'm a Christian, but there's no fruit on the limbs of my life. He's not going to let you get away with that. He's not going to let me get away with that. We live in a day where it's easy on Twitter or threads, if you've made it that far into the social world, or wherever you're at, where it's very easy to say, are you a Christian? Yes. And you can put that there that's relatively easy. And you know what, James? You you, you know the show me state? I forget which state that is. 
Thank you. I knew you'd be ready. Um, <laughs> this is the show me book in the New Testament. You say you're a Christian, James says show me. There's an active faith. Your faith, we demonstrated it through the Lord's Supper this morning. That's one way to demonstrate your faith, that you love Jesus. But he's going to call us in very practical ways for the next about 16, 17 weeks. Okay, you say you believe that? Show me. Okay? You, amen? Show me. Amen? Show me. So very practical things here that James is going to teach us. I encourage you as we walk through this book, it's only 108 verses. You can read it in about 15 minutes. Some of you speed readers, about 10 minutes. I encourage you as we walk through this book to read the book of James every single week, every single week, all 108 verses. Again, what's really good is it's five chapters. You can read James 1 on Monday, James 2 on Tuesday, 3, 4, and 5. Friends, we don't just want to study this book. We don't just want to master this book. We want to ask God to help this book master us, that we would be so convinced that this is the Word of God, and this is what He's called me to live and do, and therefore, we're going to read it, we're going to nourish ourselves in it, and actually, we're going to live it out. And that's the subtitle that I've given it, Active Faith. You say you're a Christian, show me. Now, he really has three forms of writing here that I think you should write down. Number one, James is going to write proverbially. I don't know if that's a word or not, but proverbially. In other words, he's going to give practical wisdom, insight. He's going to be like a sage. He's going to write proverbially. But then he's going to write prophetically, like a prophet. James is like the New Testament Amos. If you've read the book of Amos, he's like the New Testament Amos. He's not a prophet in that sense, but prophetic in the sense of the prophets are used by God to rebuke. And James is going to write as a prophet. He's going to rebuke us. And finally, James is going to write to us not just proverbially, not just prophetically, but pastorally. He's a pastor. There's, the, there's a tender grace that he's going to demonstrate. And, and what our challenge is going to be as we study this book is there's going to be points where you need wisdom in a matter. James says, I got some. There's going to be times where you need to sort of blow the dust off your walk with God, and, J and, and James is going to thunder, okay? But then there's times where James is just going to tenderly put his arm around you and put his arm around me, and as a pastor, he's going to say, listen, I understand what you're going through. I want to help you. I want to walk with you. I want to weep with you. And so he's going to write to us. Another way to think about this is he's going to exhort us in wisdom like a sage. He's going to rebuke us in error like a prophet. And he is going to encourage us in grace like a pastor. So he's a sage, he's a prophet, but James is also writing from a very pastoral heart because this is a congregation of people who were poor, who had been scattered out, who were being oppressed by dignitaries and governmental overreach. And James is writing to say, I get it. I'm with you. I love you. And most importantly, humble yourself before God. And this is what we need, friends. If you are a person who walks in wisdom, you are a person who says, there's, there's things in my walk with God that just need to change. Anybody else there this morning just needs to change. And finally, if, if you just need some, someone to tenderly come up beside you, 
That's called spiritual wholeness. Some of us like rebuke. Most don't. Some do. Everybody likes to be cared for. And some just need wisdom. And as we study this book, you're going to have to identify in the moment, what do I need right now? And I think you can look at it. Is this wisdom? Is this rebuking? Or is this affirmation and tenderness as a pastor? So today, with one verse in mind, just doing one verse, simple introduction, an occasion for the reason that he wrote, and then we'll begin to walk through the book in its entirety in the weeks to come. So pray with me, and then we're going to study this one verse together. Lord, thank you for your saving grace in our hearts. For those who have yet to be saved, O oh God, would you convince them again today of their salvation, that it is received, not achieved. For us that know you, Lord, as we often pray, uh, what we know not, teach us. Uh, what we have not, give us. Uh, what we are not, through this one little verse, would you make us today? This we pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, so we're going to do this in three ways. We're going to look at James's life, we're going to look at his Lord, and then we're going to look at his letter. James's life, James's Lord, and James's letter. Most of, most of our, first of all, look at James' life. Notice the first verse, James. <laughs> so who is this James? Well, this is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the natural-born son of Mary and Joseph. Now, many people find this idea kind of foreign because in particularly Roman Catholic circles where the perpetual virginity of Mary is always wanting to be guarded, it is not believed that Jesus had any siblings. And yet, as we're going to see, the Bible makes it very clear that he had at least four brothers, at least two sisters, and so Jesus was not, an, he, he was the only son of God, but he's not the only son of Mary and Joseph. And James is Jesus' half-brother. James, along with his brothers, one of them being Jude, another book in the New Testament, the book of Jude, he also grew up with Jesus. And Joseph, Jesus, and James, I'm sorry, Jude, and James, and the other two brothers, and the two sisters, their daddy, Joseph, was a carpenter. And most likely, when you're, whatever your dad was, you did that as well. And so, Jesus, and James, and Jude, the other brother, they grew up with their dad, Joseph, in the carpenter shop. And I want you to notice in verse 55 of Matthew 13, it's on the screen there, it says, is this not the carpenter's son? Now, this is a time in Jesus' ministry when he is claiming to be the Messiah, and their rebuttal to him is, is this not the carpenter's son? Now, there's nothing wrong with being a carpenter. That's a good trade. But to be calling yourself the son of God, and your dad was a carpenter? Nah, this is baloney, can't be true. I mean, Jesus, as we read in Isaiah 53, he looked like a regular Jewish dude, okay? A lot of the pictures that you see with a halo around him and light shining on him, has nothing to do with the Bible, has more to do with church history. Jesus is just a normal Jewish man. The Bible says if you saw Jesus, he, he wouldn't be anyone that you would be like, oh, wow, that's the Son of God. He was just normal. And that's really what they're saying here. 
Not only is he the carpenter's son, but I mean, he looks like any of the rest of us. And I mean, that would be like going to Home Depot or as we've learned as Texas transplants, Menards is our preference. Um, Menards, it would be like seeing a guy over in the, in, the, in, the, in the wood section and say, you know, Bill's the son of God. Bill's the Messiah over there. He's the, you know, the one with the two by fours. You know that Bill? Yeah, I know that Bill. He's the Messiah. I would be like, not Bill. Like Bill's good with wood, but Bill cannot be the Messiah. That's really what's, what's going on here. When they see Jesus, he's just been in Menards. He's been in the, the, the Home Depot, the Lowe's, the carpenter shop. And he's going around telling people through his teaching and through his miracles that he is the Son of God. And so they come to him and they say, is this not the carpenter's son? And no, are, are not his brothers James and Joseph? They're normal guys too. And Simon and Judas and 56, are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? In other words, who in the world does Jesus think he is claiming being a carpenter's son and having a normal family that he is the son of God? Four Jameses in Scripture that you need to be reminded. There are four Jameses that we know of. There is James, the brother of John, the beloved, the sons of thunder, remember? They're the ones that are like, Jesus, when we come into your kingdom, we want to sit on the right and the left. And they're, they're constantly calling down thunder, very vivacious, thundery dudes. That's James and John. That's one of the Jameses. You can read about them, Acts chapter 12. Um, then there's James of Alphaeus, Mark 3, 18. We don't know a lot about this James. And then there's James, the son of Judas, not Iscariot, and I think he probably made sure everybody knew, uh, listen, I'm Judas, but I'm not Iscariot. Not, 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 that's not me. So that it's not the son of Judas of Iscariot, but son of another Judas in Acts chapter 1 verse 13. You can go look that up. We don't know a lot about him either. And then there's this James. This James is the James from Acts chapter 15 at that Jerusalem council. Remember when the church is trying to figure out do, do Gentiles have to get circumcised and adhere to the law to be a Christian? And James stands up and says, no. He's the leader of the church. He's the pillar of the church who stands up and says, no. You don't have, just, if you have Gentile skin color, you don't have to get circumcised and you don't have to keep the Torah in the way it was meant to be kept by Jews to be a Christian. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. James is the one used by God in that moment at the first church council to really keep the gospel clear in the eyes of the church. This is that James. So if you read Acts 15, which I encourage you to do this week, what you'll see is the way James talks there linguistically is the way that he talks in this letter. It's another evidence that James is this James, because the way he talks there is the way he talks here, and linguistically, they're the same. So James grew up with Jesus. Jesus was talking about himself being the Messiah. But James did not believe Jesus that he was the Messiah. Now, notice verse 21 of Mark chapter 3 on the screen. It says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now, Jesus' family loved him, but they did not believe him. Obviously, Mary and Joseph, they had... Uh, insider language, if there ever was such thing as insider language. Mary knew who this baby boy 
was the son of God. Joseph had been told by the angel who this son of yours is. But the other siblings did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of God. I mean, can you imagine your older brother getting on social media and saying, I am the son of God? You would say, I already thought he was nuts, but it's just been confirmed. He's nuts if he thinks he is the son of... Think about you. I mean, I think about the... I don't mean to single them out, but I think about the Emory boys over here, right? Three brothers. If David, you know, comes home from uh, medical school back in May when he came back, he got the family. Let me put you on the spot, David, but um, come on up here. Just kidding. Um, but, but we sit down at the, at the dinner table, and David says, family, I got an announcement. God has shown me while I was at medical school that I am the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. The first one in the Bible, he was a hoax. I'm the Messiah. Mark and Laurent, I mean, I don't want to get in their brotherly toward one another, but they would be like, David, you're you're out of your mind, bro. That's what was going on here. And his whole family is like, Jesus, it's almost like, come here, put your arm around you, you know, don't don't think that about yourself. You've lost it. Later on, John 5, uh, John 7, verse 5, notice, for not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers did not, that would be James and Jude and the ones listed there. So, Christian friend, I just wanted you to find encouragement here. When your family has a hard time believing that you're a Christian, that they have a hard time believing that you've really changed, when they have a hard time believing that who you used to be is, and, and you talk about, I follow Jesus now, and maybe your siblings are like, yeah, right. We knew you when you were in college or when you were in high school, and now you want to be Mr. Christian Goody Two-Shoes. Just be encouraged today. Be encouraged. God has changed your heart. You're not who you used to be. And over time, that is going to become increasingly so. And right now, give them grace because their eyes have been blinded to really see like who you really are. And know that Jesus can relate. He had a family who thought he was crazy. And yet he stayed the course to follow the will of God. And so you keep following the will of God. Even when coworkers, like a year ago you did something at work and man, you shouldn't have done that. It was ungodly. And now you've come to Christ and now you're in the break room saying to be a Christian. And they're like, yeah, right. We saw what you did last year. Listen, the opinions of people fall and bow down to the opinions of God. And if you're a believer and you're resting in Christ alone, you, you may need to go to some people and say, listen, that's who I used to be. Yeah, I, I, I grant that. But I didn't know any better. And now God has saved me. And now I'm certainly not perfect, but God is growing me. And I understand if you don't get it, but God has done such a work in my heart, i got to stay the course. And I wish you would accept it. But if you don't, I love him and I still love you, but I'm moving forward in what I know God has called me to be and called me to do. If that's you today, find encouragement, dear friends. Jesus has, he has sandaled that path for you already. And he's got you and he loves you and he's with you, and he's holding you, and and he's protecting you, and one day he's going to bring you home. And if they're ever going to change their mind about him or you, God's going to have to do it. So we pray for them. Amen? But you must stay the course. So it begs the question, though, what happened that James would believe him now? 
Well, some of you know this to be true, but it was the resurrection from the dead. I mean, all of a sudden, we thought Jesus was nuts. They killed him on a cross. I mean, you remember when he's on the cross, none of the siblings are even there, remember? Remember Jesus says to John, the apostle, hey, will you take care of my mom? Like, like everybody else left. I guess they, they really thought I was crazy. I mean, imagine that. The whole family left. John the apostle, Jesus says, will you take care of my mom? I got, I'm about to die. That's how, that's how repulsive maybe Jesus was in the eyes of his brothers and his sisters, that Jesus is left to die on a cross and he had to get an apostle, which John the Beloved was glad to do that, but I think you get the picture here. This was serious. But then Jesus rises from the dead. I would have loved to have seen that conversation, wouldn't you? Jesus might have gone to their house. <laughs> Amen. And they would have, talk about an aha moment. He thought he was crazy, and then he died, and now he rose from the dead. And then it would go on to show that James believes now. He's a believer. And the resurrection made all the difference. And friends, I would submit to you that the resurrection has made the difference in our lives as well. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians um, 15, verse 6, it says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers. Um, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. There's our man. Then all of the apostles. So then notice 17, because the same thing has happened to us by faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're going to die in your sins, because you're still in them. I mean, if Jesus is not alive, friends, call the thing off, right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then call the whole thing off. We might as well, like, quit doing what we're doing. But if He is alive, if Jesus is alive, it's changed everything for us. So James had two nicknames in church history. You should write these two nicknames down. He was known as James the Just. And the reason is, is because he was a very righteous individual. And he called people to righteousness. So he was James the Just. But then second of all, he was called Camel Knees. Camel Knees. I know some of you certainly don't want to be called Camel Knees. Uh, If anyone ever called you that, I hope it didn't bring up bad thoughts in your mind. But Camel Knees... you know, camels have these pads on their knees. The idea is, is James was such a man of prayer, he needed pads on his knees to keep him from bleeding because he was such a man who was on his knees praying. So James the just and camel knees. So James is transformed. He becomes a leader in the early church. Notice Acts chapter 1, verse 13 on the screen. It says, all these with one accord, this is the 120, were devoting themselves to prayer 50 days after the resurrection or so, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. So James is part of that early band, early band. He saw Jesus, those 500 from Acts 15, somewhere in there, he believed. His gospel story was, I believe. I thought my brother was nuts, and now I'm submitting to him as my Lord, as my Savior. And then notice Galatians 2.9. This is what the Apostle Paul said about James. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John who seem to be pillars. So Paul calls James a pillar. You know what a pillar is? Stable. A guy who could bear a load. Dependable, reliable, firm. And then Acts 12, 17, um, when Peter miraculously gets out of prison, remember that? And it's always a, it's a funny instance there because they're having a prayer meeting saying, Lord, let him get out. And then he gets out 
he knocks on the door, and Rhoda won't let him in. That's to the woman. She's like, who are you? It's like you're praying for something. God did it. Now let the man in. Well, Peter finally gets let in, and then verse 17, notice it says, but motioning to them with his hand to the crowd, be silent. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, notice who he says go tell it to, tell these things to James and to his brothers. Then he departed and went to, in other words, James and these guys are the leader of the church. They're the pillars. They're the ones who really need to know. They're like, they're top of the list of who needs to know about this. They're pillars. And then finally, we read in Acts 17, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, and uh, verse, I'm sorry, Acts 21, verse 17, it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And so James is a man who grew up not believing in Jesus. After the resurrection, he believed in Jesus, and then he becomes a raging leader of the church, so much so that the great apostle Paul would say, that bro's a pillar. He's reliable. He's firm. All that is behind the word James. So that's his life. Second of all, I want you to notice his Lord. Notice, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice how James identifies himself. You know what I love about this, friends? He doesn't go on and on about being the brother of Jesus. If you wrote this letter, you may be tempted to let everyone know who I am biologically connected to. Like, you better all listen to me because Jesus Christ, I grew up with him. And in fact, you're going to see throughout the letter, James talks a lot like Jesus. He'll say things, like there's points where you think you're reading the Sermon on the Mount. Because James really knows how to articulate the Christian life because he heard Jesus all of those years, but he didn't believe it. What is most important to James is not his biological connection to Jesus. What is most important to James is his spiritual connection to Jesus. James's authority, as he writes this letter, is his spiritual identity, not his biological identity. And as Christians, this is our title as well. This is well, the way we should identify ourselves primarily, that I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think about yourself that way, Christian? When you identify, you know, we live in a day of, I identify as whatever. For the Christian, we, live, we don't just come out of the closet, man. We live out of the closet, telling anyone and everyone that our identity is we are a servant, we're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the God of the Bible and the God of the universe. And as Christians, friends, this is our self-identity. And notice this word servant here is a Greek word that means slave. The ESV translators, along with many, most translators, they clean it up because of the modern uh, baggage around slavery, which we abhor that, amen? But to be a slave of Jesus is a beautiful thing, because to be a slave of Jesus means that you've been freed by God now to live your life the way God always intended. People that are always talking about, I just live the way I want to in the name of freedom, they're the real slaves, because they're serving only themselves. But the slaves of Jesus 
We are free, friends. We're free in Jesus. Not free to live how we want, but free to live the way God always intended us to live. We are servants. And notice he says, of not a Lord, but he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. This would be dangerous for James being a Jewish man to say. Because, do you remember when in the Old Testament when it talks about God says, I share my glory with nobody else? The Jews, when they hear that Jesus says he is the Messiah, he is God, that's ultimately what got him killed, okay? And James now writes this letter, and he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So watch this. To say that as a Jew would be dangerous. To say that as a Gentile would be foolish. Because the Gentiles had a Lord. His name was Caesar. He was the president. He was the dictator. And you don't call anybody else but Caesar Lord. So this is a big deal for James to say, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice chapter 2, verse 1 on the screen. James says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the title, the Lord of glory. This is why, friends, James is going to call us to an active faith. This is why James is the show-me apostle. The reason he is the show-me is because Jesus is worthy of our complete devotion. Can I get an amen? Jesus is worthy. There's nothing Jesus would ask you to do that should ever be beneath you. There's nothing he could ask you to do, and here's the great news, There's nothing Jesus is going to ask you to do that he doesn't say, I'm standing right here beside you and I'm going to enable you by my spirit for you to accomplish it. So Jesus is not just calling us to to do a bunch of stuff. He's actually saying, I'm going to do it with you as you submit to me and you surrender to me and you follow me because he is worthy, friends, of our absolute devotion. What a pleasure it is to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Finally, not just his life, not just his Lord, but his letter. Notice who it's addressed to. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, this was a phrase that spoke of Israel in the Old Testament. Talk about those who are dispersed. The way I take this, okay, the way I take this phrase is he is saying that the, the, the Christians are now the ones who God wrote to in the Old Testament in the sense of just as they were dispersed and God through prophets and other ways spoke to them, what he's saying here is this is for the new covenant people of God. Now, I want you to see this scattering in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Notice, now, those who were scattered, this is who James is writing to, okay? This is who he's writing to. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, remember Stephen, Acts 7, first Christian martyr, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So the majority of these people, what we know about those regions of the world, they're poor people, they're suffering people, they're oppressed people, and if you'll keep that in mind, you'll make sense of the letter. That's why if you read the book of Amos, Amos is writing to a very oppressed people, a very poor people, and James takes up that and writes to the suffering people of God in the New Testament the way Amos wrote to the suffering people of God in the Old Testament. So, throughout the letter, as we close up here, you're going to see grace as a pastor, you're going to see rebuke as a prophet, and you're going to see wisdom as 
a sage. Now, I love Martin Luther, but he called James the epistle of straw. In other words, Luther said that this was a strawy epistle. He didn't like it. In fact, Martin Luther wanted to tear James out of the New Testament. He said it didn't even belong in there. I love Luther, but he was wrong. Uh, this is a, a great letter. This is a wonderful epistle. This is something that we should give our hearts and our minds to. But I, I just want to give you this quick, as we close here, this quick outline of the book for your own personal look and devotion. I want you to see um, James and active faith. Take a picture of it with your phone. Whatever you want to do, I can send it out later. But this is the way that we're going to approach the book for the many weeks ahead. Facing hardships, chapter 1, 1 to 18, receiving the word, chapter 1, 19 to 27, loving our neighbors, chapter 2, 1 to 13, doing good works, chapter 2, 14 to 26, uh, speaking and choosing, gonna, that's going to be some hot chapters in there on our tongues, we're all going to need to get here and repent, um, 3, 1 to 18, and then going against the world, 4, 1 to 5, 12, and then he's going to end out the letter uh, by praying. Now, as we close here, I love James's instruction to us in James chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, would you read this out loud with me if you can read? Because <laughs> we have little ones, and, there are, and I, love having, I love having non-readers in our, in our service. But if you can read, will you read this? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Let's read it one more time. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. I pray that that right there would shape our study of this letter. The main thing that you and I need to be good students of the Bible is we need humility. We need to come every single week as we walk through James and say, Lord, we humble ourselves before your word, allow him to speak to us, rebuke us, comfort us, give us wisdom. And friends, the book of James is not void of the gospel. Just remember, the application of all of this is for the people of God. It's for those whose hearts have been changed by the gospel. And we're going to get to that in chapter 1. But friends, remember this. This is an active faith. This is the show-me man of the New Testament, and it's going to be a great, great study. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, such a timeless word, such a timely letter for our congregation. Lord, we are a people who it's very easy to affirm Christian behavior and Christian ethics and the fact that we are Christians, and yet God we know that you've called us more than to hear the word and amen the word. God, you've called us to be doers of the word. So I pray, God, that you would use this study of the book of James in my own life and in our lives as a congregation to live our faith out actively and to know, Lord, that it is your Holy Spirit that enables us to do this. We can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to you. Uh, we humble ourselves before you, for you are the divine author. James is the human author, but Holy Spirit, you're the divine author. And we pray, God, as, as your servants, that we would learn how to be, be better servants of yours. Those areas of rebuke, may it be so. Areas of comfort, may it be so. And areas where we, God, just need wisdom, may it be so. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as a, as a body to humble ourselves before you. Thank you that every person in this room has a story. James had a story. 
thank you, Lord, that his story didn't end before the resurrection. It ended after the resurrection. Pray, God, for someone in this room that you would interrupt their story with your gospel, to set them on a new path, that everything they're looking for is found in you. Thank you that your word says as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Would you do that now, Lord, as we sing and inhabit the praise of your people? Pray it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us, friends? Let's sing this song in response.